I'd heard about prostate cancer. Most men have. I even knew about the heightened risk for black men, which, when adjusted, means that it affects one in three of us. One in three. But this was only meant to happen to old men. Other men. (laughs) That wasn't until it happened to me. I couldn't make these stories up. These are the stories, the good, the bad and the unbelievable about my prostate cancer journey. So strap yourself in and let's go. Episode 13, Napkins and Anoraks. Today marks exactly six weeks since the operation, and I can say that it seems quite a lot has been achieved in that short space of time. Firstly, there is a very important appointment that needs to be attended. At the six-week stage, you have the final PSA check. It's not actually the last PSA test you will have, far from it. This PSA test is the first after the operation, and it's very important. You need this PSA reading to come back as 0.03, which is deemed undetectable. The official term used in prostate cancer to say you are cancer-free. I had the blood test two weeks before the appointment. This test was to come back low, but not yet undetectable. It was 0.04. I didn't want to tell anyone because I'd not come this far to get a nearly there result. I took another test that day and waited a few days for that result to come through. On the 31st of August 2018 at 13.29 I received an answer phone message that my PSA had come back at 0.03. Undetectable. I was cancer free. Now I was out in public at the time so I did a mental jig rather than a physical one. But I was elated. I didn't do the Facebook or Twitter post with the news. I just didn't feel like it. Though I've made no secret of my condition, I didn't put it out there directly on social media either. Instead, I told a small number of close friends and family. I've been asked if the experience so far has affected my faith, either in a negative or a positive way. To tell the truth, it's been a little surreal because, like the majority of men, I didn't have any physical ailments. I was never ill or in any kind of pain beforehand and I had none of the classic symptoms that you may read about with reference to prostate cancer. I was told I had something that had no physical effect on me and now I'm being told that I am cancer free. Other than a load of physical side effects due to the surgery, I feel exactly the same as I did before. Anyway, I'll stop drifting and to answer the question, I said very early on to God, as much as you can try and bargain with him, that if he did his bit, then I would do mine. His bit was to get me through the surgery with the best possible outcome, and my part was to use this big gob and sense of humour to try and save others. I never said or asked why me. That wouldn't make any difference. Why waste oxygen on what I can't control? I need to spend my efforts on what I can control. The pelvic floor exercises have become second nature, And the results were slow at first, and then they just seemed to jump into action a couple of weeks ago. 
I'm able to sleep at night without a pad, though I may get up a couple of times during the night to use a toilet. The incontinence has reached a stage that's called stress incontinence. This means when I stand, run, laugh, cough loudly, or pick up something heavy, it will trigger a small leak. That aside, I would like to think I'll have this cracked in the next couple of weeks. My strength seems to have pretty much returned back to normal. This has been happily exploited by the family, by them assigning me all matter of tasks back to me. Whereas before, if I picked up a bag, they would run over to me and shower to take it off me. Now, it is more of not even a look if they hear a crash. The stitches have almost completely dissolved, though there are still some pain twitches deep down. I can also drive, which is a blessing and a curse, as I was enjoying the life being chauffeured around everywhere and enjoying resting on public transport. The next seminar on the list was the post-prostasectomy seminar, which is for those that have had the radical prostasectomy surgery and are now at or around the post-six-week surgery stage. There was about ten of us in this particular group, again, of all ages and races, and I was probably the youngest one there. Now, a veteran of these courses... I've been trying to decide if prostate cancer patients are all just miserable beforehand, or is it the situation that makes them miserable? It's probably a mixture of the two. We never talk to one another, and it's quite sad that most of these meetings, other than the staff presenting, are the prostate equivalent of wakes. It was a case of silently filing in and finding a seat. There was always an ex-patient at these meetings who would be wheeled out, making themselves available to have a chat afterwards. I never saw anyone take them up on this, including myself. To me, they were all too happy and smiley. For us, this is still the stage of the unknown. Then I realised that I just answered my own question. I don't want to hear about somebody else's wonderful progress and success until I had experienced some of my own. I understand that this is all highly personal, and even though we are still here, unlike others, we are pretty much self-centred. I've never been an alcoholic, so I've never been to an AA meeting. But from what I have seen on TV, this is not a million miles away from it. We introduced ourselves and gave a sentence about how we were progressing with the incontinence. Some of the guys were more advanced than the others, but most of us were about the same level. Some indicated that they would like to talk privately afterwards about additional help. The other purpose of this meeting was to talk about the big, fat, juicy elephant in the room. Impotency. Regardless of how the operation goes, if both sets of nerves are saved, or only one set are saved, or unfortunately neither could be saved, anyone undergoing the prostatectomy operation will experience impotency for some time. This could last for days, weeks, months, years, or forever. No two people are the same. I am currently impotent. There, I said it. I've owned it. Other than the occasional twinge, there is more action going on in the bag of crisps at the moment than with the dethroned king. In the space of a day, I've gone from being able to hang 
an anorak on the king to not even being able to hang a napkin on the king. With the catheter still inserted, anything that could get the king to go for a walk absolutely terrified me. No, correction, it absolutely petrified me. Every woman around me was fat. No, humongous. They were all cave women hairy and they were hideously ugly. That's what I had to repeat to myself because I was terrified of having any kind of movement with this catheter skewering the king. It's a simple fact that I'm impotent. It's a simple temporary fact for me. Someone who could be about to go through this will need to see it and know they have to keep positive. Will I always be impotent? Hell no. I've already warned his lordship that if he's not back on the throne by Christmas, I'll be looking at a Russian inflatable implant. Blase? Again, that's not the case at all. On the medical front, as I have had successfully both sets of nerves saved, there would be no reason why full hydraulics would not be restored. But being anything other than absolutely positive wasn't an option for me. My most pressing problem at the moment is fixing the little incontinence that I have left. That needs to be resolved first. One battle at a time, or at least try to keep it that way. I was told, however, that I did have to start another battle. That battle was with the penile vacuum pump. The nurse told us quite simply, use it or lose it. The pump is a medical grade plastic tube with a trigger mechanism. It's a two-part device with a selection of rubber rings. You grease up the king and put him in the open end and start pumping. The grease creates an airtight seal and depressing the trigger creates a vacuum. The king says, hello, hello. And like a plant on a time-lapse video, in a few minutes, the king's reign is restored. Hurrah! All is not well, however. Pump too hard and it's akin to trying to open a banana by squeezing it from the bottom, but with a million nerves involved. Yes, I've made that face too. You partially release the vacuum, the king gently retreats, and then you pump it up again. It's like chest expanders for the king. Now, if you want to get busy with your partner, then you roll on one of the appropriate rubber rings around his majesty, and hopefully you're good to go. No one can say that this old gift called prostate cancer does not leave you with some choices. Unfortunately, these are not the fine choices off a menu from an award-winning French restaurant, but more like the menu choices from a North Korean prison camp. It is always a choice between bad and terrible. The post-postosectomy seminar continued unabated with its captive but silent audience. Everyone had previously been given a letter to their GP. This letter asked the GP to create a prescription for Sinindafel, which is the generic form of that very famous blue pill, and a penile pump. Apparently, a normal healthy king undertakes subconscious walkabouts in his kingdom at least four times a night. Lucky subjects. One elderly black man sitting in front of me put his hand up and said he didn't want one. He didn't elaborate any more than that but it had a feeling of melancholy about it. I thought he was in his late 60s or early 70s, 
But when it was his turn to talk, he actually said he was 82. I actually felt for the guy, but I could hardly reach out and tenderly touch his shoulder. A guy I don't know. So momentarily, the room just fell silent before the nurse took control again. I did say to myself that I would like to think at 80 odd years old, even if it took the best part of a week to crank the king into place, much like when they slowly move the space shuttle out of its shelter to the launch bay. I'd like to think that... Anyway, let's continue. We were told that if we haven't done it by now, we should consider giving the king a test run and see how we go. You could imagine that would generate a laugh, but it was more like wheeling out a sponge cake with a bear trap, clearly visible on the top of it, to a Weight Watchers meeting. The pump would always work, regardless of your nerve status. That was the consolation prize. But if our blue friends didn't work, there were other varieties we could use. And of course, there were other choices. Enter the box. The first item to be taken out of this box was a small eyedropper-like device that administers a small pill directly down the king's eye. Yeah. I made that face too, and crossed my legs vacuum tight, excuse the pun. And once it's down the eye, you're meant to roll and massage it until it dissolves. It sounded to me like a very wrong episode of a cooking programme. This wouldn't just kill the mood, how about burying it in concrete? The next contestant out of the box was the injection. Now, I personally don't have a problem with needles. But this was perhaps taking it a little bit too far. Stabbing the king? Violence? Mm. Also, apparently, there was a small chance that you could get it in the wrong place. And that's a whole nother problem. It wasn't for the squeamish. Both of these options, they work directly with the king. So you can use them regardless of your nerve status. If the surgery removed both of the nerves or the king just never regains in his own kingdom, then the only options are surgical. The two surgical options are the non-inflatable and inflatable implant. So we pass around the options as you do. The non-inflatable option is slightly thicker than our friend the milkshake straw. It's two rigid plastic rods with a bendy bit in the middle. It's put in by a surgeon and will never change in size or thickness giving you a permanent but directional stiffy. Primitive is a very apt description. Those of you of a certain age may remember the old analogue television aerials. Do I need to say anything more? When required, you just bend the king where you want him to be. If you want him to turn to the right, you bend him to the right. You want him to turn to the left, you bend him to the left. I looked at this thing, shook it about and said to myself, never in a million years, before I passed it on to the person next to me. Cue the trumpeters. The king daddy of the implants is in the building. The three part, three parts, you know, I'm just repeating it. The three part inflatable pump. This implant consists of a pair of cylinders, a reservoir of saline and a pump unit. This is a one way option as the operation involves scraping out the sides of the king to attach the cylinders. 
and you would never be able to achieve a natural stiffy afterwards. The reservoir sits internally underneath the belly button and the pump and release valve are located in one of the nuts. It all sounds gross, but if it's the difference between that and nothing, it's a sound option. To wake the king, the man presses on the button. The pump then transfers saline to the reservoir, which are attached to the cylinders in the king. It inflates them, and the king salutes. Pressing on a button at the base of the pump returns the fluid to the reservoir, deflating the king and sending him back to sleep. With it all being internal, you wouldn't know it's been fitted as only a small scar at the base of the nut is visible. Additionally, you have to wait two years before they'll consider fitting this device. The king goes to sleep when you want him to and not before. You are going to be popular with the ladies. For quite a morbid seminar, it broke the ice and I was not the only one smiling. I may have been the only one hearing the corny synthesizer music in the background when I picked it up though. It went around the room following the same route as the other products. But on its return journey, I thoroughly examined this brother and held on to it. Nobody seemed to notice. It was happily sitting next to me for the rest of the seminar. The king goes to sleep when you want him to and not before. I could hear the corny synthesizer music in the background again. I smiled. Then, like being slapped with a wet fish, I remember how well the catheter was fitted on me a few weeks ago. Not. I dropped the thing down in the chair like it was a biohazard. The music scratched to a halt on the record player. The DJ flung the record on the floor. I won't be needing that, thank you very much. And I handed it back into the box. End of seminar. We filed out silently. And the old boy was still in the corner on his own. Thank you.